Um, I always do, or not always, but I often remind you that uh, uh, we don't sing songs to get to the message. We sing songs because we're to worship God, and uh, they are to be, and they should be, a song from our heart. And uh, this last song is a uh, powerful one. I, there's a, a, a powerful question or a statement that I hope you can make. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. Does he thrill your soul? Is he special? Is he precious to you? He ought be, and um, I, especially as I was singing, I thought that third verse, what a wonderful redemption. Never can a mortal know how my sin, though red like crimson, can be whiter than the snow. And uh, that, God, that God would offer forgiveness of sin freely as a gift. Can't earn it, can't win it, can't gain it by any, any deed you do. It's given as a gift by those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that my sins, though red like crimson, were made whiter than snow. Isn't that a precious truth? No wonder all that th should thrill our souls is Jesus Christ. What a, what a great God. And, um, and I hope the, the songs are, are more than just something to get to the message and more than something you just sing because that's what we do at church. I hope they are something that are very uh, precious to you because you think about what you're singing and sing it to the Lord and rejoice in what he's done. And that's message number two. So, love country, love the hymns of the faith, um, and you're in Mark chapter 12, and uh, let's love God's word and learn from him today. Let's pray for and ask for his wisdom. Uh, Father, we need your help today uh, as we open this book, the word of God. We need your understanding. We need your spirit to open our eyes to behold the wondrous things in your law. Help us not only to understand what the word of God says, but help us to be responsive to the Holy Spirit of God who has promised and whose ministry and work is to touch our hearts and help us understand the truth of God. So today, Father, open our hearts to the wonderful truths found in Mark chapter 12. And I pray that you would touch every person here and, and, and that your spirit would meet their need. For those who don't know you, may this be the day of salvation. For those who are part of your family, probably a great majority that are here today, if not all, may those be stirred as we read the account of Jesus Christ, the servant, in the book of Mark. And I'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us today. And we're looking for and counting on your spirit giving us the help, the power, the strength we need. And we look forward to you meeting with us in a special way, in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. A preacher said this. He told this story. He said, there's nothing quite as exciting as an exciting night in America's busiest airport. O'Hare, as my brother calls it fondly, O'Harry. Anyway, uh, the preacher went on in his story. He said, my goal was relatively simple. I was going to get on a plane and fly home. Now, that was easier said than done because the radar had suddenly gone down that night and there was only one runway open. Now, let me tell you something. That's a tragic event if you're talking about O'Hare Airport for only one uh, runway to be open. He said, I was frustrated because I couldn't get out of the airport. But pity those poor people who couldn't land. At least I could go and I could walk around in a building. But it's tough when you're up there in the sky. <laughs> we could see the lights of planes as they were flying around and around and around and around and around and around. And they could see the lights of Chicago down below, I'm sure. They were almost there. They could see their destination, but they weren't on the ground. Some circled so long, they eventually had to be diverted to another destination they didn't want to go to. He said, oh, the frustration of being almost there, but not there. He went on to preach a message circling the airport. And one of his points in the message was this. One of the most dangerous spiritual positions in the world is to be not far, but not in. Like those airline passengers that frustrating night in Chicago, almost there, but not there. 
There are many people who live almost belonging to Jesus, but who die that way. And his text happened to be Mark chapter 12, the passage, or at least a portion of it, that we're going to read today. Because in this passage, there's someone who was not far from the kingdom of heaven, but he wasn't there. And there's a lesson to be learned there, as well as others, as Mark records for us and shares with us the life of Jesus Christ. So follow along, if you would, as I begin in verse 28, where the, in Mark chapter 12, as we continue our study through this book, and pick up in, in that verse, which says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard him them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him. The first of all, the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all burnt, whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Mark chapter 12 presents a picture of Jesus Christ as the entire book of Mark does and as we've been talking about all along. This uh, story that we just shared a few moments ago that the preacher said about being close is one of many lessons to be learned in our text today. There was a very religious man, a scribe that we just read about beginning in verse 28, religious but lost, who needed to come to faith in the Messiah now, that is one of the stories, but today there are three things to consider from our, from our passage, if you would. I want you to see the context, the content, the conclusions, all right? I'm going to make it rather simple today. Nothing extremely profound other than the fact that it's God's word, and as God's word, it is a profound thing for us to learn from. And we're going to begin with the context. Now, if you were paying attention as, you, as we read, you would find that verse 28 is not the beginning of the story. It says, and... One of the scribes came, and having heard him, uh, them reasoning together. So really, what we're starting at is kind of in the middle. And that's kind of a shame, because there's been a few weeks, I know, since we preached on Mark chapter 12, and since we looked at the first portion. So if we're going to understand this passage, we kind of got to understand what's going on in the verses around it, what's already been taking place, because it's a continuation of thought. So let me explain as simply and kind of as quickly as I can some things about the context. Uh, if we're going to understand this, we ought to first understand kind of the book, all right? We've done this a number of times, I know, so don't fall asleep on me. Stay awake, at least till we get to the points later on, all right? But 
The book of Mark is the shortest gospel. We know that. And as we've already stated, it seems as if he doesn't want to get bogged down in details as we go through the book of Mark. In fact, he is, being the, short, the one who wrote the shortest, he's one that kind of just goes from one thing to another. In fact, we've been reading that as a family. We're in, early in the book of Mark. And uh, as we were reading even this morning, I was reminded about how Mark was just, and immediately, and this happened, and this happened, and he went here, and he did this, and that. The whole book of Mark seems to be focused that way. The idea is that Mark didn't want us to sit here and say, okay, let's look at this one little story here, and let's learn the deep truths in this one story. He wanted us to get a picture of Jesus, Jesus as a servant. He wanted us to see that picture of Jesus as a servant going from here to there to here to there in all sorts of different places, in all sorts of different uh, areas, ministering, meeting the needs of people, preaching the word of God so that people could come to faith in Christ and be part of the kingdom that he talked about as he uh, talked with the scribe in these verses. And so the book of Mark, the whole intent of the book is to just give us this quick view, if you would, of Jesus the servant. And that is why we have avoided getting into the great details and going into all the different gospels to look at the stories and try to pull out every truth we possibly could. Because you have no doubt, I could just take this first part of Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, and I could probably preach about six weeks on it. But we're not going to do that because Mark didn't want us to. And his intent was to just help us get an overall picture of Jesus the servant. Now, the text we are in today is, is at the end of his earthly ministry. In just a few short days, he's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again the third day. And the end of the book is going to conclude those things. And we are coming to that point. He is right now in Jerusalem. And he has begun to do some things starting in chapter 11 that you need to be reminded of. You see, in chapter 11, right at the beginning, Jesus comes to Bethany. And after he comes to Bethany, he goes to Jerusalem and he enters the city. And we have what we call the triumphal entry. In the first 10 or 11 verses of that chapter, we see the people crying, Hosanna! And calling him the son of God, the son of, the son of David and recognizing his position, and honoring him as the king. And so Jesus, rightfully so, accepts that worship because he is the king, he is the son of God, and he is God come in the flesh. And as he after he receives that, he goes into the temple, and you know what he does? He casts out the money changers. I mean, this is, that's where we find the story in Mark chapter 11. And uh, after he casts out the money changers, he, uh, he, throughout the day he's there, he goes back to Bethany. The next day he comes back, he's in the temple again. And when he's in the temple again, he is confronted by these workers. Look at you in chapter 11, verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, so Jesus has just cast out the money changers. He went back to Bethany for the night. He comes back to the temple. He's just walking through the temple, innocent. You know, just walking along through the temple and all the, the, and a number of the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Sadducees come up and inundate him with questions. Where, who is your authority? Why do you do the things that you're doing? Why did you cast out those money changers? Why are you acting like this? The reason why Jesus was acting like this is because he's the king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he is giving them opportunity, one last opportunity in Jerusalem to see him as he is and to accept him as the Messiah, which they do not do. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But that's what's taking place in Mark chapter 11. Throughout Mark 11 and Mark chapter 12, Jesus is acting kingly. That's right. He says, I'm not going to answer the reason that I do this. I'm not going to tell you my authority because you wouldn't even accept the authority of John the Baptist. You're certainly not going to accept mine because Jesus could have said, I'm God. And I have the right to cast people out of the temple who are doing something that's sinful. But they wouldn't accept that. So he just tells them, I'm not going to tell you what authority because I'm a king and a king doesn't answer to his subjects, if you would. And then he continues to act kingly as these people come and as they accuse him and as they ask him questions. Man, he answers them great. I mean, he silences the Sadducees. He silences the Pharisees. 
And that is where Mark chapter 12, verse 28 picks up. Jesus still been acting as the king, as he rightfully is, presenting them, if you would, one last opportunity to see he is indeed the Messiah. And there's a man that comes to him and he's observed all that has gone on. He's seen what's been taking place in the temple. Jesus still hasn't left the temple, all right? What we saw in chapter, 11, or chapter 12, right at the beginning, when Jesus was back in the temple, this is all a continuation of that. One day's events. And this guy comes to Jesus. He heard, this, heard them reasoning together, and he perceived that he had answered them well. In other words, this guy actually had listened. You know, no one else was listening to Jesus. They didn't care about his answers. They just wanted to make him look bad, Right? I mean, that's why the reason they asked him, well, who's, you know, or, or do, we pay, do we pay taxes? That's a, a great non-divisive issue, you know, for a Jew especially. And as he answered those questions and everything else, they weren't concerned about what his answers were. But this man had observed all this, had listened to all this, and this scribe, a religious leader in that day, had a question. And it doesn't seem like he came as many of the others came trying to trip Jesus up, he had a question. So he said, which is the first commandment of all? What is the most important thing? What is important in life? And, and Jesus took time to answer that question. By the way, if Jesus was the Messiah, as he was claiming to be, and as he was, if you would, acting Messiah, Messiah, Messiah-ish? Ooh, is there, yeah, Messiah-y. Okay, there's got to be a term for it. As he, yeah, okay, you, can, you can make up whatever one you want, all right? But as he was acting kingly, as he was acting as one who rightfully had that position, uh, these, uh, he would certainly have to know what the first commandment and the most commandment of all was. And Jesus answered that question. So that's kind of leading us up. That gets us to Mark chapter 12 and what's taking place. That's the, if you would, the context. So let's look at the content. There are four different events that take place in this passage. Four events make up this section. In fact, I lab I've labeled them this way. Not far, not complete, not sincere, not understood. And if you, uh, if you look at these passages, maybe we'll help you to understand or we'll explain those so you, you can grasp a little bit what's going on. In verses 28 to 34, Jesus again has silenced one of the religious factions in Israel, the Sadducees, and he confronted them with Bible truth. He said, look, you don't know the Bible. You err because you don't know the Bible. One of the greatest problems in life that people have is that they don't know this book, and they don't know this book rightly divided. Uh, that is the problem. That's the problem with cults. That is the problem with, by the way, religions, that many of them have gone off from the truth because they don't know what this book says. And by the way, there's a challenge to us that we need to know what the book says. We need to be people of the book, and we're going to get to that in one of the points. But here in, verse, uh, in this first section, if you would, or if in this first event, Jesus has just finished answering that their great error was that they didn't know the word of God. They didn't know the truth of God. So now a Pharisee comes and says, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say is the most important law? What does the Bible say is the most important? What does the law teach? And Jesus was ready because Jesus knew his Bible. Because Jesus was a student of the book because he knew all that was written therein. And so when the first commandment, as he brought out, what is the first commandment of all? Uh, emphasizing what is the most important of all the commands. Jesus made it very clear. The first command is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Do you know what Jesus taught about this in other places? He said, there are two commandments, really, in essence, that sum up the entire law, and they do. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he brought those very same things up in this conversation to help this man understand, hey, look, I know the law. I know what the most important thing is. The most important thing is that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. And if you will do those two things, in essence, Jesus was teaching what he taught many times before. You will fulfill the entire law. 
And this guy listened to Jesus, and he said, that's a good answer. Do, do you see that in verse 32? Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. You're right. Now, those weren't words that Jesus heard from many scribes. You, are, are you getting that point? All along, the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders have been coming and trying to trip him up. And this is one of the few times where any one of the religious leaders, Nicodemus came with questions, but this is one of the few times you find in the Gospels where anyone ever came, any scribe, any religious leader ever came to Jesus and said, that's a good answer. You're right. And it was at this time when Jesus then said, Look at these. Well, he, he gave and he explained a little bit why he believed that to be the truth. And then when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, verse 34 says, he said unto him, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Now, when it says he answered discreetly, it means he answered, I always thought that meant like he was kind of like whispering to Jesus. Okay, But the word actually means wisely or prudently. This is one of the few people they actually thought through what Jesus said and listened to him. The others were trying to trip him up. This man wanted to hear if Jesus knew the law. He knew what was most important. And when Jesus answered, he said, you're right. That's the truth. In fact, I understand that loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself is more important than sacrifices. You wouldn't have heard that from a Jew. Because Jews believe that the sacrificial system was the most important thing of all. And this man was saying, I understand that the most important thing in life is for me to love God and to love my neighbor as myself. And I agree completely with what you have to say. And it's no wonder Jesus said he wasn't far from the kingdom of heaven. Now, he wasn't saved. But there were a number of things that were true of his life and a number of things that happened in this event that help us to understand why Jesus could say, you're not far. By the way, the truth is you will probably meet some people throughout your life, if not maybe even this week, who are not far from the kingdom of heaven. People who, like this man, are searching and want to know the truth. They're looking for answers. And if you have them, as Jesus Christ did, perhaps you might have influence and opportunity to see these people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that wasn't the message necessarily, but that's a truth that we can glean from this. But in the story here, Jesus, as he, um, as he answered him, said he wasn't far. Why wasn't he far? There's a number of reasons. Let me share you some things. First, he was willing to listen to what the Bible said and not accept what he had always heard and what he had always been taught. Because the Jews always talked that sacrificial system, sacrificial system. If you offer sacrifices, you can basically, kind of like, like a lot of Christians live today, well, you can live your life, do whatever you want, act the way you want, everything else. As long as you're involved in the sacrifices, God is pleased. And God said, look, I want you to love me with all your heart. That is what is most important. And quite honestly, God isn't pleased in sacrifices. Not too long ago, we came across the passage where Saul disobeyed God. And what did God say there? God has said to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what this man was admitting. So he was willing to listen to the Bible. He was willing to listen to truth and accept the truth as it was written. It's no wonder then he wasn't far from the kingdom of God because someone can't be saved unless they're willing to say, God has spoken, there's truth, and I'm willing to listen. And that's what happened here. By the way, he was willing to search the truth of Scripture or have the truth of Scripture presented to him. He was willing to accept it. So, number one, he was willing to listen to what the Bible said. He was willing to search the truth of Scripture. He understood that religious works do nothing to save. He understood that the sacrificial system didn't save anyone and doesn't save anyone, that a right relationship with God does. And that starts with loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. And the truth is, when you have that as your focus and you understand that that is the whole duty of man, you will understand this. You don't measure up. You don't love God with all your heart. You don't love your neighbor as yourself. You're a sinner and you need a savior. And it's no wonder then this man had come to, if you would, at least that realization. And therefore, he wasn't far from the kingdom of heaven. 
You see, he understood that religious works do nothing to save and religious works won't ever save or give someone a good relationship with God. Something has to change. The fourth thing we could say about this man, the reason he wasn't far is because he was willing to humble himself to accept what God said. And that's what we find in this passage. He was not far. He wasn't there. What was he missing? We'll get to that later. Let's look to the second story. You say, why are we going to get to it later? Because we're going to get to it later. I told you that, all right? All right, so let me share with you. Not far. The second was not complete. You say, well, what's going on here? Well, Jesus talks to the scribes, and he asks a question as he taught in the temple. How say the scribes, Christ is the son of David? See, the scribes, by the way, do you know what scribes were? Who scribes were? Okay, most of them were Pharisees. They were religious leaders. They were religious leaders. They would have been of the, the Pharisee sect, if you would. But the scribes were unique in the fact that they were men who were responsible for copying the word of God. They didn't have Xerox. You do understand that, right? It wasn't until this, what, the, what, this is the 1600s or whatever that printing was ever available. I mean, we can, we can get a Bible printed off the we're going to put them together this, this week, you know? But in that day, if you had a Bible, it was because someone sat down and copied it out by hand and, and not with, with ballpoint pens. It was a painstaking process. Could you imagine what it would be like? Have you ever tried to do it? You were trying to do that, weren't you, Brother Deals, for a while? Or you were doing that. Writing out... The word of God. Now, just doing that in, in modern day and everything else, I mean, we're talking about hours and hours and hours and hours and days to write the entire, the entire Bible. How far did you get, Brother Deals? I'm going to be in trouble here. All right. So, so there you go. Okay, so can you imagine a scribe in that day who, by the way, had a great respect for the word of God but his responsibility was to make copies of the word of God so that people so that people would be able to hear from God because in every synagogue they needed to have the word of God. And they didn't throw yeah, that's right. And there's a lot of things that went on, a lot of things you can you can hear about and you can read about this. But scribes were responsible for that. And therefore they became teachers. Because they were people who knew the book. I mean, look, when you're sitting down and you're writing it, you 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 get to know the book. So here's what Jesus said. He said, you teach that, that the Messiah, the Christ, is the son of David. Now, were they right? And the answer is yes. They were right. They were correct. He was the son of David. The Messiah had to be of the line of David because God had made that promise in the Old Testament. And the scribes were right in their teaching. But they didn't have a complete view of the Messiah. And so what they taught about the Messiah, though it was true, it wasn't enough. It wasn't the complete picture. You see, their view of the Messiah was, well, all he has to do is be born of David. He has to be of the line of David. And as long as he is of the line of David, he can be the Messiah. And in essence, what they were saying is, the Messiah is just a man. Do you know what Jesus taught in this passage? The Messiah is God. Well, how did Jesus teach that, and why did Jesus bring this up? Because the scribes were teaching something that, though it was true, it was not enough. People needed to know that the Messiah was not just a man of the line of David, but the Messiah was God come in the flesh. And so he brings out the point that David, when he talked about the Christ, he said he called the Christ his son, if you would, Lord. David understood that the Messiah was not just a man. The Messiah was God come in the flesh. What an amazing thing. And that is an, uh, an interesting truth. But the point of the whole thing and what Jesus was bringing out is this. 
Look, we need to be people who, not, who don't just understand the Bible and don't just go along and say, okay, yeah, someone has brought up the Bible, and boy, they say it says this. We need to be people who understand and learn what the Bible says. We need to know the complete truth, not half-truth. We need to know exactly what God has said. So I wrote the words not complete because that was the problem that the scribes had that Jesus dealt with in this passage. And he was sharing with them, look, you're making mistakes. You're, you're in trouble because, look, you know a lot of truth, but you don't have the whole truth. Now, is that needed today? And do we need to hear that message? Let me tell you, we do. Because there are cults and there are religious groups all around today who know truth but not the whole truth. Who teach truth, but not the whole truth. Who hold to truth, but not the whole truth. There's a lot of people, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, it seems like we've been bringing that up a lot, I know. Both groups talk about Jesus. And they have things that they say about Jesus that are very true. In fact, if you read and look at Jehovah's Witness material, you will find verse after verse after verse after verse after verse supporting what they believe, but they don't believe the whole story. And they're wrong about Jesus Christ because they don't believe Jesus Christ is God. In fact, the truth is they have the same problem the scribes did. They see Jesus as, in essence, a man, a godly man, an important man, but not the Savior of the world upon whom they need to put their faith and trust because he is God come in the flesh same thing with the Mormons and same thing with many other religions of the day look what Jesus taught about in that day is something that we need desperately to hear today is that it's not enough for us to just say oh yeah he uses the Bible do you know there's a lot of people who will turn on the TV and listen to people in churches like like these who will listen to people on the TV teach truth but not the whole truth and they'll think oh they're great men but they don't treat, teach the whole truth. They don't hold to the whole truth. And they don't know the complete story. And they're not teaching the complete story. And the problem with the scribes was that very thing. And that's what Jesus dealt with in this passage when he said, I want you to know that the Messiah was not only of the line of David, but the Messiah was God. David called him Lord. How could it be Lord? Unless he is God come in the flesh. Jesus was the God man. Therefore, he was the Messiah. And that is one of the hang-ups that the scribes had that Jesus dealt with in this passage. Not complete. The third story in verses 38 to 40 is talking about the scribes again. Boy, was he picking on them in this passage. Not because he was picking on them, but because, quite honestly, their lives were really, really troublesome in what they were doing. And so he says that they weren't sincere as well. And he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes. It's no wonder the common people heard him gladly. You know, scribes look down. The, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, look down on lowly other Jews. They did. And it's no wonder then that the people heard him as we read in verse 37. And it says in verse 38, as he gets into this, he said, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces. These were things that the people saw all the time. These were folks that were just interested in the show. They were hypocrites. I don't want to go to church and be with a bunch of hypocrites. Someone might say when they don't come to a church. And uh, I've heard a preacher respond to that. Well, you can spend an, your entire, uh, your, the entire rest of your existence in hell with them or you can spend some time with them while they're in this earth. What's your choice? Um, there are hypocrites. There are hypocrites in the, in the church today. There are hypocrites in all of life. There were hypocrites in Jesus Christ's day. Phonies that were doing what they did for shows so people would recognize them, so people would honor them, but they weren't people who were worthy of being honored. And God said this about them. They weren't sincere, and God said this. Look at the end of verse 40. These shall receive greater damnation. He was preaching a warning to these religious leaders who, first of all, didn't even understand who the Messiah was, Supposed to be religious teachers and supposed to be people who knew the Bible. Second problem was they were all about show and living for themselves. And they weren't about loving God with all their heart and loving their neighbor as themselves. Do you see what Jesus was ultimately hitting on? So these people were insincere. 
passage closes, the last event of chapter 12, is Jesus, while he's still in the temple, after he's done teaching, he sits there. I don't know if he was sitting. I don't know exactly. But he watches people as they give. Now, I don't know about this. This is something that, you know, we, we don't do in our day. But they watched people when they gave. Maybe, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should have people come up, line up, and just come up and give their offer. Anyway, during the song, next time during the, the second song, we're going to just have you come up and give your offering. So we're going to see what everyone gives. Oh, what a horrible thing. Jesus was watching this. Because that's what they did in that day. They had a box in the outer court of the temple. And people would come and they'd make their offerings. And boy, some people did it for show. That's true. Uh, other people, though, did it with a right heart. And these people were giving. And Jesus was watching this. And there's these, you know, like these rich people, these wealthy people. They, they come in there. They drove in in their Lexus. And and, uh, and you know and and they had their they had their I mean they pulled out their they pulled out their, their wallet out of their out of their um, robe and you know they they man they they put in their offering and everyone would see it you know ooze and all I don't know if that was going on all right but uh, that was what was taking place and Jesus was observed the act of giving done in the outer court and um, as it happened as these wealthy people and many people were coming and they were giving their offering. A lot of people were giving good offerings. I mean, look, any independent Baptist would have been real happy as he watched. Wow, that's good, Brother Deals. Yeah, way to go. Brother Farrington, that's pretty good. <laughs> Brother Wiley. <laughs> and I just got myself in deep trouble. All right, so... So, but okay, these things these things are taking place, and there's this this poor woman, and she throws in, in essence, basically nothing. And, and you know, it's interesting. A lot of that money in the temple that was given, it went for the care of the temple, but most of it went to the poor. Which is an amazing thing, because you know who was giving this? Poor lady. Who had, nothing. And Jesus saw what this lady did, and he calls attention to it. And he wanted to teach a truth that, that people didn't understand about giving. He treat, uh, teaches a pr profound truth, many truths, but one stands out. And the truth he ends up, one of the truths he shares is God is not concerned with the amount. God is concerned with the heart. Because if the heart is right, the amount will be right. Now, that's one of many things that can be learned. But it's things that people don't understand about giving that Jesus taught in this last event that takes place in this chapter that people just don't understand. Let me make a number of observations from this story that could be noted. First, uh, Jesus observes all men and all things they do. It's kind of the picture that's given us in this event. Secondly, Jesus knows the condition of men. He knows what they do have and what they don't have. That's true in this story. He knew that there were wealthy people. He knew that there were common people. He knew that there were poor people. He knew everything. He knew what they had. One commentator wrote this. He said, God sees every penny I possess and constantly observes how I lay it out. Whoa. That's an, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? He also said this, such truth is a comfort to selfless people, but a concern to selfish people. Third observation, Jesus knows the motives and heart of people, not just what's observed by the naked eye. So someone could come and they could throw, they could throw a thousand bucks into the offering. And God, knowing the heart, might not be pleased at all. Someone could come and drop a penny in the offering, and God could be very pleased because Jesus knows. Um, he knows the motives and the heart of people. The fourth truth we can observe from the story that we find, Jesus views all equally and judges impartially, knowing all aspects 
of their service, a person's service, both external, what they do on the outside that everyone sees, and internal, what no one sees. And number five, Jesus recognizes and rewards selfless, sacrificial service done out of love for him. Now, we could easily conclude a lot of things. All men are to give. All men are to give liberally, and giving is to be done from the heart. That is a powerful message found in this, in this portion of Scripture. A lesson to be learned is something that a lot of people don't understand. And people get mad when preachers preach on it. It's true. They do. And yet Jesus taught on it on, on, on that day. All right, so that's the content. Let's get to the conclusions. Wake up now, okay? You say, Pastor, just, you've just been giving us a bunch of stuff. Okay, let's come to the conclusions. As we come to the final point, quite honestly, there's just a lot of stuff. I, but I feel like I've been like a babbling brook. I feel like, a, you know, the, the teacher and, and Charlie Brown, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, that's all you've, ever, you've heard all the way up to this point. So if that's the case, then, then look, time to wake up, you know, stretch, okay? And let's get to the conclusions. Let's consider these four stories because Mark didn't want us to dig deep into everything, but he did want us to learn truth about the life of Jesus Christ. There are four things for you to consider. First thing is this. Faith in Jesus Christ is crucial. When we come to the first story, this man had everything going for him. He wasn't far from the kingdom of heaven, but he wasn't part of the kingdom of heaven. And the re reason he wasn't was because he hadn't taken that last step of faith in the Messiah. He hadn't come to the point where he was willing to accept that Jesus truly was the promised Messiah, and he wasn't willing to accept him. And my friends, that is what keeps many people from being saved. There are a lot of people today who think they're going to get to heaven because they're part of a church. They think they're going to get to heaven because, well, they're religious people. They think they're going to get to heaven because they've done certain religious deeds. They think they're going to get to heaven and they think they're part of the family of God because they're trying to live a good life. And God says, none of that counts. The most important thing, and you, are not far, you may not be far from the kingdom of heaven, but you're not part of the kingdom of heaven until you come to the place where you understand who Jesus is and receive him. Have you done that? Are you part of his family? My friends, there is no more important message than what Jesus said. I have thought about this this week. I've wondered, is that guy in heaven? Is that guy in heaven? Maybe that didn't come to your mind, but as I was looking at the story, he wasn't far from the kingdom of heaven. Just one thing was lacking. He was willing to accept the Bible as truth. He understood what Jesus said and understood that sacrifices and actions and deeds won't save anyone. He understood so many different things, but the one thing he hadn't yet done was accept Jesus as the Messiah, believe that the Messiah had come to die on the cross for his sins and to provide a way. And my friends, the problem with that guy is the problem with many people yet today. They know all sorts of Bible truth. They have religion, but they're not there because they have never come to the place where they did what God said in his word. Well, what do you have to do in order to be saved? Nothing in your own. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to come to the place, my friends, where you understand that faith in Christ is crucial. Yes, you have to accept the Bible as the word of God. You have to be willing to search the scriptures. You have to be willing to humble yourself and say, yes, I see myself as a sinner, as someone who is in need. But you also have to come to the place where you say, Jesus is the only one who can save me and receive the gift that God offers of eternal life freely through faith in what Jesus Christ has done. Have you ever received him? Have you ever accepted the gift? If you have, then my friends, 
you don't have to say, oh, he's not far from the kingdom of heaven because you've arrived. That's the only thing that's necessary. Faith in Christ is crucial. Second, determined to know all of what God has said. Not just be content to say, oh yeah, wow, he's using the Bible. Be a Christian who studies the book, who's willing to dig in the book and understands this. Look, organized religion may not be true. By the way, what I preach may not be true. You need to search the scriptures. I certainly hope you will find it to be true because we seek to preach and teach the word of God in truth. But my friends, there are a lot of people in this world today who are very religious and talk about the Bible and use the Bible. I made the mistake many times of preaching that new evangelicals uh, are, are way off and they're wrong and, and everything else. Well, look, new evangelicals are wrong. And there are a lot of problems with what's going on in the modern church today. But you know what the real problem with them? It's not that they don't preach the Bible. In fact, I think sometimes I've given people that impression when I talk about new evangelicals not being concerned about Bible truth. No, many new evangelicals preach the Bible. They don't preach all the Bible. Many of them preach a lot of truth, but they don't preach all the truth. Many of them hold to many of the doctrines and things that you and I believe and hold to, and they preach those things, but they don't preach the whole counsel of God. My friends, that's where they're wrong. And that was the problem with these people, with these scribes. They knew a lot of truth, but they didn't know the whole truth. And as a result, you know what? They couldn't be saved if they didn't understand that Jesus was the Lord. He was God. Do, do you get that? So look, there's a real need in our day today. There's a, there's a Christians in churches like ours who, who sit and I, I really, I warn you, I, I, I just warn, who will go to the internet and, and, and say, oh man, this good guy's good because he uses a lot of Bible. But just because someone uses a lot of Bible doesn't mean that they're teaching you the whole counsel of God and it's true. You need to search the scriptures. You need to be a student of this book. You need to learn it and you need to learn it completely. It's not enough just to say, oh yeah, he opens his Bible. One of the things that really bothers me as we go on vacation is is seriously finding a fundamental church where preachers actually preach the Bible. It's embarrassing. In fact, I just, it's upsetting. We have gone to at least eight different churches in the area. We've gone on vacation. Oh, here we go. I, I, I don't want to sound like I, but we've gone to at least eight different churches. And in those churches, I have not consistently found a pastor who opens the word of God and preaches it. And all of them are independent fundamental Baptist churches. It's shameful. They don't rightly divide the word of truth. They'll take a topic and just go off on the topic. The passage doesn't even apply to the topic sometimes. It's embarrassing. You need to know this book. It is the authority for life. Be a student and know the complete truth. Make sure you understand it completely because a lot of people get in trouble because they know a lot, but they don't know it all. So determined to know all that God has said. Wow, powerful lesson. Third conclusion, all right? Hypocrites will be severely judged. <laughs> all right, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But, um, you know, people, we, we should, don't play religion. Don't play religion. Love God. Serve God. Don't come to church worried about people, what people think of you. Come to church because you love God and you want to learn from him and you want to serve him and worship him. Let's be... You can find hypocrites left and right. Quite honestly, those who say, I don't want to go to church because I don't want to be with a bunch of hypocrites, sadly, in many cases, they're right. 
because there's enough people who go to church and just are phonies. They're not what they appear to be on Sunday morning. You say, man, are you jumping all over us? I'm teaching what Jesus taught in this passage. Watch out for people who do what they do for show because they want to be recognized because God says, I will judge them severely. Understand this. If you're a phony, God will take care of it someday. Even if no one else knows it, God will take care of it someday. That should scare anyone in this room. And Jesus didn't mess around. Fourth truth, the final conclusion. We've made observations about giving and money. I hope you'll ponder those, but there's something that could be missed. Would you look at verse 44 just for one more minute? There's something that I missed as I was reading through this story. It says, for all they did cast in of their abundance. But what's the next phrase? She of her want. So, so let me tell you something. She was a lady who wanted. She didn't have enough. She didn't have enough for daily life. Now, that's amazing enough, right? The offering she made took away from what she did have, and she didn't have enough. Did you, did you catch that? Okay, then look at the last phrase, and this is what I missed. Even, what was it? Say it. All her living. She gave everything she had. Jesus knew this. No one else probably did. She gave all she had. Say, Pastor, are you telling, trying to tell me I'm supposed to give every penny that I, that I have? That's not the message. This is a woman who loved God so much that she obviously asked God, what do you want me to do? And when God impressed upon her heart, she had such faith in God that she was willing to go and give every penny she had left and we have people who say well if I give 10% I won't be able to make it this lady gave everything because she loved God and she believed God if she did what God wanted her to do would take care of her needs and whether it's giving whether it's in life we need to be people who just love God and have faith in God to obey him completely, whatever it may be, and trust him to take care of meeting the need and doing what needs to be done so that we'll be cared for. Do you love God like that? And I came to that last story. Do I love God like that? If I had my last $10 and I didn't have enough food for this week, would I be willing to go and put it in the offering plate because God made it clear that's what he wanted me to do? Would you ask yourself that question? And then I think you'll understand maybe why Jesus praised this woman so. Because she loved God and believed God would take care of the need when she did what he wanted. A lot of challenging stuff from the events in the life of Jesus for you to think about. Are you part of his family? Do you know the Bible? Are you someone who loves God so much you just obey God and you believe that he'll do what's right when you obey. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As God spoke into your heart today from Mark chapter 12, not from what I said, but from Mark 12, as you look at the life of Christ, you see what Jesus taught, you see how Jesus lived, you see those things that he 
that were, were shared about his ministry and what he had to say. Is there something you need? Is there a Christian in this room who would say, is there someone first that would say this? I don't know if I'm part of the family of God. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I've ever been saved. I'm concerned about that. Would you pray for me? I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die, but I'd like to know. Does anyone say that by raised hand at all? Don't want to forsake that because that man was close, but he wasn't there. That's a fair question to ask. If you're part of the family of God, then, if you're not, we'd love to help you with that. But if you're part of the family of God, some of those other truths, the events in the life of Jesus, did they challenge you? And is there something that needs to change in your life? Do you love God like that woman did? Are you a hypocrite? Are you phony? Are you living like, do you know your Bible and do you search the Bible to find out whether these things are so? Or do you just accept what someone has said? Has God spoken to you? If you'd say God has, and pastor, I just want you to know that, would you be willing to just raise your hand? God spoke to me today from Mark chapter 12. There's truths that I needed for my life. Wonderful, good, I'm glad God did that. Excellent. Anyone else say the same thing? Many of you have, thank you. Wonderful, praise the Lord. I'm glad he spoke to you. All right then, look, do something about it this week. Be what God would have you to be. And allow his word to change you because that's what it's all about. It's not about us coming to church. It's about us loving God with all our heart and serving him. Father, you've seen the hands. I am so thankful that your word works and that your spirit works in hearts. And I don't know what the needs of these people are exactly. I don't know what each, what, what way your spirit worked in each heart, but I know there's a lot of truth here that Christians need. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be different because of what we've heard and that our lives would change and that we would respond to and, and live our life differently this week. Help those who raise their hand to live what they've learned today. And I will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking around. But if you would, please, just stand to your feet if you're able. Right now, would you do that? We're just going to have a very brief invitation, an opportunity for you to respond. But if God has worked in your heart, and it would help you to cement that decision by just getting on your knees and talking to him about it, then I want to encourage you to do that as she begins to play right now a hymn of invitation. Whether it's right here in the front or right where you're at, just kneel down by your, by your chair, talk to the Lord about it, and leave this place, not one who's heard the word, but someone who's going to change because of the word of God by the grace of God this week. Why don't you do business with God right now? Give me thy heart. What a great song. And may God have our heart, our love, our devotion, our very best. Father, I pray that every Christian in this room would live their faith. I pray for any here that may be not far from the kingdom of heaven, that this would be the day of salvation for them. Please don't give them rest until they seek help from someone who can show them from the Bible how they can be saved. And dear God, for those 
who already know you. May this be a week of change because we're seeking to live a, a loving Christian relationship with you. And, um, and we follow you and love your word. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you as you serve him and love him. You're dismissed.